everybody and welcome to another episode of Roots, the Jazz Impressions podcast. My name's Ollie. My name's Dan. And uh, together we run jazzimpressions.co.uk, a music blog designed as a game of musical ping pong where we explore musical connections one track at a time. Um, in this podcast we both choose a track and then we try and map a musical path between these two tracks via a series of musical stepping stones. Um, and along the way explore the music and uh, some of the artists we really enjoy. So, it's the fourth episode. Again, two more tracks. So, what have you chosen this week, Dan? I've picked On Green Dolphin Street by Eric Dolphy. How about you? And I've picked uh, Las Vegas Tango by Gary Burton. Do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll kick us off. I've started with On Green Dolphin Street uh, by Eric Dolphy on his album Out of Bound, released on New Jazz in 1960. flirting with the avant-garde and pushing uh, the boundaries of hard bop, but it's still very accessible. Well, I think it's no, no coincidence that, uh, as one critic noted, that if you look at Dolphy's most famous albums, they all have Out in the name. Yeah. Outward Bound, Out There, Out to Lunch. You know, so there was, he was very much aware that he was looking to push the boundaries and go further than other people had done before. And I mean, even when you look at the album artwork on this album, you know, for me, it's reminiscent of a Sunra album, weirdly. It's kind of like Eric Dolphy, but it almost looks like a kind of moonscape in the background, or this kind of surreal, almost Salvador Dali-esque kind of landscape. But it's got this, for me, it reminds me of these early Sunra records. And it has, in a way, some of the same kind of jauntiness that you hear in Sunra's music. It's, it's that kind of two sides to the music. It's bebop, but it's jaunty and it's... Wonky humour. Yeah. Monk, I guess, is the... Monk has the same thing. I think Eric Dolphy, Monk, Ra, they all have that quality in their music. Very influential on Coltrane as well. That outward-looking sensibility. Mm, definitely. And I mean, it's trained after Dolphy's tragic death very early on. Um, he had a very short career um, when touring in West Berlin. Uh, he collapsed one evening, slipped into a diabetic coma, effectively, and he was taken to hospital um, and... The, the staff on hand that, that evening, they basically used a racist stereotype. They assumed that he was, because he was a black jazz musician, he was a junkie and uh, treated him as such. So they just lay him in the bed and as they would anyone who had, you know, taken an overdose and he ended up slipping into a diabetic coma, yeah, which he never came out of. Insulin would have saved his life and they just neglected to give it to him because, as you said, 
they've made a racist assumption yeah. about him. I mean, there are conflicting stories. There are there is another version of the story I read somewhere saying that it was uh, he he died due to insulin shock after he was given an insulin shot. Right. But I think I think the first interpretation is probably the most likely. Yeah. Considering what a lot of these artists were going through and the people that were actually with him that night as well, some of the musicians, what they said happened. I think you've got to you know you've got to take that in mind and listen to them. But either way, a, a, an incredibly tragic loss for jazz and it was felt um, very deeply by a lot of players at the time it was a real shock to the to to the jazz community because Eric Dolphy was very respected with a lot of players interestingly you know Miles didn't have a lot of love for Dolphy famously said uh, he plays sax like someone was treading on his foot (laughs) but it's interesting the Miles connection because on Green Dolphin Street was made popular by Miles Davis in 1958 Uh, it was originally composed by Bronislaw Kappa, a Jewish immigrant from Poland, mm. uh, who composed for countless Hollywood films, including Them, the Giant Ants movie, <laughs> and Gaslight, the noir from which we get the verb gaslighting. Oh, didn't know that. Didn't know what? I didn't say anything. A good one. <laughs> joke about gaslighting <laughs> and he also composed this next song which is from another film uh, this is All God's Children Got Rhythm played by Bud Powell on his 1950 Norgran album Jazz Giant <laughs> It's funny, his style reminds me a lot of uh, Kenny Drew. Yeah. You know, um, as a pianist, Kenny Drew's album Undercurrent. I mean, you put me onto that really underrated Blue Note recording. But, you know, Kenny, Kenny Drew's style of being very, very nimble in his right hand, soloing, just, you know, yeah. really crazy runs of. I mean, pa- Powell was probably the most influential pianist of that generation, the bebop mm. uh, school. I suppose you could call him, call him the Charlie Parker of the piano. Definitely, and the same as Max Roach was for the drums, and that's him playing on that recording there with Ray Brown on bass. Powell was actually on day release uh, from a psychiatric ward at the time. Oh, really? He was institutionalised following, again, a racist incident. Tragically, the story of jazz is the story of American racism. He'd been beaten by police when he was drunk one night, uh, and ended up with these headaches, a kind of paranoia, and uh, was put into a psychiatric hospital. Uh, eventually given electroshock therapy that uh, made his playing erratic and inconsistent over the course of his short career. Yeah. But this is peak Bud Powell. He's still clearly got his chops. He yeah. sounds like Art Tatum, but with this 
completely new modern energy. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad, isn't it? Like, obviously, the story of Bud Powell, you know, so many stories in the history of jazz of players being mistreated and abused as a result of, you know, racist treatment at the time. Um, and you kind of forget, obviously, you listen to the music, but you forget about the context and the backdrop against which some of this music was made. But in order to really understand it, you have to you have to know that backdrop. And I mean, we, we looked at, you know, you look at Eric Dolphy, who we just mentioned, Miles oh. Davis beaten by police, and that changed his whole demeanor, apparently. Yeah. You know, before that, he was a lot more of a kind of softer character, and he adopted that much more harsh persona that you see Miles having. And a, a lot of people say it was it was due to that beating that yeah. completely kind of changed him. Charles Mingus as well, mm. wrote on uh, uh, the Max Roach late 60s album, Members Don't Get Weary, on the blog. Fantastic album, if you haven't checked it out. Highly recommend it, one of Max Roach's best albums. But I remember, you know, I think it's in the liner notes on that Max Roach talks about politics and music being inextricably linked. And he yeah. became more and more political throughout the 60s as the civil rights um, movement went on. Um, and people like Mingus and Roach were very vocal yeah. about the injustices that were, were going on at the time. And they thought, you know, they were very outspoken about this stuff. And considering what a profitable and artistically rich enterprise this was in America at the time. These were stars. These were people making a lot of money for generally white businessmen. Yeah. And they weren't being properly compensated. No. They ended up with a lot of drug problems, mental poverty. Health, mental health. I mean, it was already there. No doubt a lot of the mental health stuff stemmed from the racist treatment of these artists. So many musicians have problems with that. And incarceration, these musicians Hank like Mobley. Mobley being in yeah. prison. He, I mean, Hank Mobley couldn't even afford a saxophone towards the end of his life, mm. despite him being incredibly profitable for Blue Note for his whole career. Yeah. And this period for Bud Powell, he made some brilliant albums, fortunately, including this next one. Uh, I've picked Over the Rainbow from his 1952 Blue Note album, The Amazing Bud Powell, a.k.a. The Amazing Bud Powell, Volume 1. Street, uh, Dare the Races, or God's Children Got Rhythm, yeah, and now Wizard of Oz, Summer of the Rainbow, one of the most beautiful melodies ever composed. Harold Arlen is the writer. Uh, I love that recording. Mm. Bob Powell plays everything but the melody and the melody and the kitchen sink. <laughs> it's probably it's, it's it's definitely almost feels secondary. It feels like it's he's playing that he's playing the melody, but what you're really concentrating on are all the embellishments he's yeah. putting around it. Which is, which is quite interesting. So although that's obviously rooting, you know, provides a foundation for the track, it's really all the in-between bits that you're listening for. Yeah. Um, it's quite an interesting it does, approach. It does sound rainbow-like, all these kind of colours surrounding the overall arch of the piece. Yeah. I like the ending as well, where it kind of suddenly just goes zing at the end, and it feels like it's just, you know, it has yeah. a kind of playful feel to it, but it definitely feels like 
you get that image, you know. It's sort of more dramatic and more romantic, even though you don't have the lyrics, which are another really great part of that song. And I think this is what instrumental jazz versions can do really well, is bring something new and a different type of beauty to a song. Well, this is what we were talking about um, in the first episode. We were talking about show tunes and the way you know jazz musicians are able to take sometimes these, these, these tunes, which maybe... You know, sometimes they're an amazing tune, sometimes they're, you know, they're okay, but it's amazing in the right hands. Yeah. And with the right fingertips. <laughs> um, how certain musicians can transform these things into really interesting interpretations of these, of these tracks. And with that in mind, my next track is another version of Over the Rainbow. Okay. This time by Art Pepper. I thought that was coming. This is from the album Tokyo Encore, released on Dreyfus in 1991. Try not to cry when you hear this. expecting it because he'd been in that prison all his life and so his recording career had been curtailed mm. uh, but found he had this incredible audience in Europe and particularly in Japan like many musicians a lot of uh, a lot of musicians you know had that second second career as such and, and often know, because of the in obviously not in the case of our pepper because he was white but because of that racism that we were discussing a lot of these black artists found sanctuary in places like Copenhagen and Paris, Bob Powell moved to Paris. Eric Dolphy even, I yeah. mean, before, before he died, you know, he, he was moving to Europe anyway because of, you know, the artistic freedom. And, yeah, you and know, Ke they were... Kenny Drew went to Copenhagen as well, who we mentioned. Yeah. So that's uh, Art Pepper with George Cables, who was his favourite piano player, mm. Billy Higgins on drums, and Tony Dumas on the bass. Nice. Because of that hardship that Art Pepper had been facing throughout his life, I mean, it's astounding that he made it to uh, 1979, considering how many times he almost died as a result of being a notorious heroin addict. He talks about this in his book, Straight Line. I still need to read that. It's one of the I've, best music memoirs, or maybe just memoirs. Ever. I mean, you've, you've recommended it, and I've seen countless other jazz fans you know, mention it. It's, yeah. He was obviously aware of his mortality, and so these performances particularly, he plays every note as if it could be his last. There's yeah. a real passion and intensity to his playing with his yeah. career. And it really comes across in this. It's one of his favourite ballads. It's a beautiful recording. Well, my next yeah. pick is recorded that same week in Japan from a radio broadcast, uh, a tape of which Laurie Pepper, his wife, found uh, in a box in her house. As you do. This is I'll Remember April by Art Pepper.
album number eight for all by Gene DePaul is from Rise of Cowboy, the 1942 Abbott Costello comedy. Right. You've got uh, Taiga Koshi and Kasumi Watanabe there on trumpet and guitar, so mm. Japanese musicians, with Al Foster on drums, Chip Jackson bass, and Gary Burton on the vibes. There we go. I could have just gone straight from Over the Rainbow uh, to Gary Burton because he recorded it as well. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about the fact that... Um, it would have been a short episode. Would have been a short episode. Could have gone from on Green Dolphin Street. Yeah, just to Gary Burton, <laughs> He did record on Green Street. But apparently uh, I read that Gary Burton once had Art Pepper thrown off a tour uh, of colleges that they were doing because Art Pepper got drunk one night and was telling prison stories to the students. Oh, really? And they kicked him off for besmirching the reputation of jazz musicians, apparently. And there's a quote from Laurie Pepper... Who says, uh, I found that hysterically funny. Jazz musicians' reputations. No wonder jazz is moribund. <laughs> uh, and that leads me to the final track in the journey, which is Gary Burton's Las Vegas Tango. We heard him there on Vibes. And this is him on his Atlantic recording, Good Vibes, released in 1970. <laughs> track just the way that the whole track I mean it's six and a half minutes long but the way it just builds through the whole thing you know you've got Gary Burton on vibes Steve Swallow on bass uh, Bill Lavornia on drums and Sam Brown on guitar I think you know Sam Brown really yeah. particularly sticks out there it's just the his guitar playing is so atmospheric and moody and I mean the whole the whole track has this dark psychedelic almost like a film noir quality to it mm. and it reminds me of listening to it reminds me of kind of like walking around rainy deserted streets at night it's got that kind of quality to it yeah it's funny that very hazy the, and the first track of my route that's not from a film is the one that sounds like it should be almost like yeah almost the most cinematic yeah it, yeah I suppose that's the best way of describing it it's cinematic yeah a similar way again to Nevada from Out of the Cool definitely it's yeah. got that heist movie vibe heist music yeah it's definitely got a soundtrack kind of vibe to it but yeah, I mean, I love that track. And I mean, it's where actually I start my route. Um, interestingly, on this album, you've got Gary Burton using electric vibraphone, which was something that um, a few players were doing, especially in the, the, you know, the swinging 60s. And as you kind of coming out of the psychedelic era into the 70s, things were getting funkier. Um, people were looking more towards, you know, rock and funk and things like that for influence. Yeah. Um, and you had, you know, other vibraphone players like Roy Ayers also using uh, electric vibraphone. Mm. Um, and it's that 
characteristic. I mean, it's it's hard to describe until you hear it. But it's basically a vibraphone. I think run through a fuzz pedal. Right. I think, or it's an actual instrument itself. I'm not sure, but that's what it sounds like. It sounds like you've run your vibraphone through a fuzz pedal. It's got almost quite a harsh sound to it, like a distorted sound, like yeah. when you're driving an amplifier or something, and it's you know it's almost going to bust the amp. Yeah. It's got that kind of feel to it. So it's that dark psychedelic quality that led DJ Muggs of Cypress Hill to sample uh, Las Vegas Tango um, for the famous Cypress Hill track, Illusions, which is from their third album, uh, which was entitled Three Temples of Boon, um, and it was released in 1995 on Columbia. that was partly intentional obviously yeah. we were you know we can't be calling ourselves jazz impressions without you know getting a healthy slug of jazz in first exactly but yeah it was definitely you know it's been on the cards for a while sooner or later yeah hip-hop was going to make an appearance and what a, I mean there's no better track to uh, start it with really I mean this is up there and I've been listening to a lot more um hip-hop from people like especially you know in the last couple of years producer like um The Alchemist mm. Um, and he's actually credited as being a co-producer, interestingly, on this album. Oh, wow. Even though I don't think he actually put any of the beats for, but he was helping Muggs make some stuff. He was helping, like, um, program some of the samples and stuff, although apparently he was never allowed to do the drums. Muggs had to do the drums. Um, <laughs> but I think it was in the early days. He was basically taken under his wing as a young kind of protege kind of thing. And it makes complete sense because, especially now, you know, obviously Alchemist has moved through lots of different... Um, changes in his career but that dark sound cinematic quality that almost ominous feeling that you hear in so many alchemist beats um, that's credited definitely from that mug sound yeah I mean yeah it's it's, it's a great it's a great track um, amazing instrumental um, and no doubt Muggs was drawn to the music for its dark psychedelic qualities it's that kind of chiming sound the alchemist uses a lot obviously in this case from vibraphone yeah but there's something almost death knell it's got, yeah, it's, it's, that's the thing about Alchemist beats. They're often, they can be very simple, but there's loads of layers, but they've got that, he's a really good producer for, you know, making beats where there's maybe not a lot like changing up melodically in them, but he keeps everything interesting from all these little one shots coming in all these little sounds and skits. And I feel like Muggs does the same thing here. Yeah. Which leads me to another track that's sampled in the same beat by Muggs. And you'll just capture a little glimpse of it at the beginning. Um, those echoing sax stabs um, that you hear in the beat are from a track by saxophonist John Clemmer from his track Summer Song from the album Eruptions which was released in 1970 on Cadet Concept.
great example of what you're talking about in terms of layering a beat with quite simple elements. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not uncommon for a lot of these early, these, well, I say early, this was mid-90s, but a lot of these 90s hip-hop beats to use multiple samples mm. from different sources. I mean, you get that, you get less of that now in hip-hop. You get a lot of producers just maybe taking one sample, flipping it, adding some drums and, and an 808 or something and calling it a beat, calling yeah. it a day. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I suppose this is what draws me and so many other people to that 90s golden era sound is that you know really people are getting so creative with sampling um, and often these beats have multiple samples from different records that have been pitched up or down to sit with each other or maybe yeah. they're clashing maybe they haven't even been pitched and there's a kind of tonal clash there and which it gives it, it colour and interest and yeah it makes it harder to discern what it is exactly that you're listening to definitely to that and once you once you also blend samples together as well once you start taking two different records and layering them over the top you can get all sorts of interesting textures that you wouldn't otherwise get so I mean yeah it's a cracking it's a cracking track and yeah he was an American saxophonist he became famous for a slew of albums on Cadet in the late 60s and early 70s before he moved over to Impulse and he was really a pioneer of the jazz rock genre and his music often blended jazz and blues with psychedelic rock and he was known for uh, the techniques he'd apply um, to his saxophone like putting a delay on his sax yeah. that you hear there which is interesting it's although we didn't hear that in the first track um, the fuzz on the vibraphone Gary Burton so it's at this time you know instrumentalists are becoming more experimental yeah thinking, what happens if we run this through a delay what happens if we you know, do all this kind of stuff with it. Which Ian Carr as well, the British trumpeter, was well known for, again, you know, playing his trumpet elect through an electric pedal, I think. Again, makes it uh, such fruitful material for these hip-hop producers 20 years later. Yeah. That experimentation with electronics, what happens if I put a wah-wah pedal yeah. and hook it up to my turntable? Um, which leads me on uh, to another composition um, via the link of Clemmer, his most famous and Probably, I would say, his best album. It was called Blowing Gold. Um, and it was released on Cadet Concept in 1969. And the track is called Children of the Earth Flames. <laughs> European rhythm machine we're doing at the time. Yeah. Songs like Chromatic Banana. Yeah, that's a good joke. Onslaughts of electric noise. It's kind of that. It's, it's this fusion, really, of psych rock blues and free jazz yeah. and modal jazz as well. So, like, you know, you look at the structure, you've got this driving kind of bluesy jazz groove at the beginning, and then in the middle it descends into this free jazz cacophony momentarily, and then finally it returns that driving modal groove that you hear at the beginning. Yeah. And then they kind of solo on that and um, then to the end. It's uh, got artwork reminiscent of Revolver by the Beatles. Yeah. And there is a, I see there is a Beatles cover on the album as well. 
Yes. So yeah, you yeah, can yeah, like, slap is. it down a rock influence. Definitely. And it's also, it's interesting, there's, the sound to me, um, re-listening to this, reminded me of Soft Machine. Yeah. It's got, um, from kind of like their fourth album onwards, where yeah. they became more jazz-focused. I mean, you hear it on three, but definitely on, the, on their fourth album when... Uh, yeah, when they started really veering into instrumental jazz territory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think if you're, if you're a fan of Soft Machine, check out uh, Blowing Gold by John Clemmer. And so The Connection is another track that sampled this, another 90s hip-hop joint um, by the Fantastic Beastie Boys. Uh, their track The Update from Ill Communication, released in 1994 on Capitol. <laughs> listening to the whole of your communication I went oh my god this is amazing and also what struck me is these these instrumental tracks that come out through the record and I was like wait these aren't sample based yeah these are actually played by a live band and I was like wait are the Beastie Boys playing and looking at the credit notes yeah because obviously the Beastie Boys were a band before they became a yeah. hip-hop trio they were a punk group they were a punk group yeah and you kind of forget that and then you look and you're like oh right like MCA plays double bass on like the album and you know, electric bass and double bass and you're like oh okay they're actually yeah. you know playing on here I, I think they they didn't necessarily write all the compositions themselves they were helped by a producer but you know still them you know we've got Mike D on the drums you know yeah. and they're all they're all basically playing like a band as well which is awesome and then um, Ad Rock plays the guitar like those Beastie Boys albums they have this kind of like raw anarchic quality to them yeah. I suppose coming from their days as a punk band but the delivery through always like going through a microphone with like heavy delay on it sounds like it's going through a megaphone or whatever and you hear that like the delay on his on his vocals um it feels reminiscent of john clemmer and doing what he was doing in the 70s on yeah. the sax or gary burton hooking up the vibraphone to a fuzz box you know it's that kind of experimentalism that you see in hip-hop and that's where you know you get the connection between jazz and hip-hop there interestingly um eric bobo um son of latin jazz great willie bobo yeah plays percussion on the album on Ill Communication. He played with the Beastie Boys, but went on tour with them. Um, he also saw Cypress Hill, and he ended up um, becoming a member of Cypress Hill as well, and he split his time touring between the Beastie Boys and Cypress Hill. Uh -huh. So an interesting link. He actually features on Temples of Boom, but only on one track, playing bongos or something. Yeah. But he was, yeah, he was and like an honorary yeah. member, and you've got this the kind of connection between the two there. You've got the track on Ill Communication, Bobo on the Corner. There we go. Which is a cross between Bobo yeah. and Miles Davis is on the corner. Yeah, exactly. Which brings me on to uh, my next connection, uh, which is uh, another track of the same album. It's Beastie Boys' Get It Together, featuring Q-Tip. Oh my god. Oh my god. I got some shit. I got the kung fu flip. I 
I think my favourite Beastie Boys track. Is it? And I, I think so. Yeah, I, I think it's just it's just perfection. It's great. It's so good. I mean, the production from Q-Tip on that, I feel it sounds like it could be a Tribe track. Definitely. If the Beasties weren't on there, and I think Q-Tip is massively underrated as a producer and MC. It's got that real live quality. Yeah, it feels very improvisational as well. It's yeah. just like they were just doing it off the cuff, which is funny because you're talking about that live feel. There's that live performance on YouTube of the Tibetan Freedom concert yeah. in 1996 where Q-Tips brought onto stage during the Beastie Boys set to perform Get It Together. And he couldn't remember their lyrics because he just recorded this ages ago. So he couldn't remember any of it. And so he gets brought out there. What the rock is looking to the beat like that. Hey, yo, I don't know shit, but I got the ill hat. Yo, I take a fucking ride because I make shit fat. It's a train wreck. And you can see him like half cracking up as well, which is, which is funny because actually in the original track, he starts laughing later on in the track yeah. as well. Yeah, great track. Q-Tip is the link uh, with my next track. The link via Q-Tip is, of course, Tricle Quest. Um, and the track is Jazz We've Got off their album Love in Theory which was released in 1991 on Jive. All through the years, my mic has been my best friend. I know some brothers wonder, can Piper really kick it? Some even want to diss me, but why sweat it? I'm all into my music, because that's how I make tapes. Try to make hits like it could be makes tapes. Me sweat another, I do my own thing. It's probably the album for me that, because uh, I mean, on especially on Low End Theory, there's so many Blue Note samples on there. Um, yeah. You know, it was really... You know, in the early 90s, people were digging, uh, producers were digging deeper. They were going out of soul and funk and looking more into jazz. And you get that a lot of the jazz inflected and rare groove samples um, of 90s hip hop production. And I think Tribe were really leading the way there. Q-Tip was a big um, digger and he was, you know, going into Blue Note Records and all these kind of groove. Yeah, and groove Ron, Ron Carter is actually off. The album. He's actually on the album, yeah. I think, he, I think he agreed. I think they asked to sample him and I think he was like, no. I, I play on the I play on the track. Yeah. So they got him to do that, which is I mean, awesome as well. It's another notch in Ron Carter's discography, which yeah. it's not like he needs them. I mean, yeah, he's, he's got the world records for most recorded jazz bases in history. It's made yeah. over two thousand two hundred. Yeah. Um, but yeah, amazing album. Successfully brought together the worlds of hip hop and jazz. Again, if you haven't somehow heard Low End Theory, what you're doing with your life. Yeah. Stop the podcast, right? Actually, no, wait till the end of the podcast. But afterwards, get low in theory on. Um, the next connection is through sample-based things. So back into jazz um, via Jimmy McGriff's Green Dolphin Street. And uh, this is from his album Concert Friday the 13th at the Cook County Jail, released in 1973 on Groove Merchant.
and soul jazz organist. You've got fantastic Sam Jones on bass. You've got Louis Hayes on drums, Cena Walton on Rhodes, and Lucky Thompson on sax. That's a proper U line like that. They were a <laughs> rhythm powerhouse yeah. combined. Sam Jones and Louis Hayes worked together with Cannibal Ladley. Mm-hmm. One of my favourite standards on Green Dolphin Street. Yeah. It's got a lot of room for improvisation, but it's a really cool melody. I mean, these, it, what's interesting about this album is it's a live recording actually recorded at a prison. Um, on Friday the 13th. On Friday the 13th, weirdly. Yeah, it's weird that they chose that day. And what I like about the recording is you can hear in the background, you can hear the inmates and yeah. the audience, and then at the end everyone's applauding. It's got this really kind of live atmosphere. I mean, it's one thing for like Johnny Cash or Jerry Garcia to do that kind of rootsy music in prison, so that makes logical sense to me. Mm. But jazz in prison sounds almost contradictory somehow, but it shouldn't be because the, what we were saying, this is American roots-based music, mm. it, and it comes from the blues, which is what the Johnny Cash stuff was about, mm. just because it's also got a kind of academic bent by virtue of being complicated music, doesn't stop it from being uh, a music of the people. And that's something that Archie Shep talks about a lot. You've got to remember it's street music that it's called. Yeah. It's not, it became the music of kind of conservatoires and, you know, the musical elite in a way. And but like mar- it's, marketed to white people. Yeah, but at its roots, it's coming out of the blues. Um, which, of course, brings me to um, the final uh, destination, which is uh, Eric Dolkey Quintet, Green Gold, Dolkin Street. A bit of a long one, a bit of a lengthy one, but we got there in the end. I think it's cool that... Your route was very hip hop sample based. Mine was all about music from films. We've yeah, I didn't see that. Our own I didn't. Th- I didn't see that coming. I thought you were going to go via the, the Gil Evans link. I thought you were going to go Gil Evans and then into some other stuff. I didn't see you, and I, I like how you kept that thread of film music going through. As always, thanks for listening, guys. Um, if you enjoyed it and uh, you want to hear more in the future, um, subscribe and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Spotify, Apple Music, SoundCloud. Um, follow us on Instagram as well because we're active on there, constantly kind of posting when we do new episodes and stuff. So hit us up on uh, Instagram and Twitter. So join us again soon for another episode of Jazz Impressions. And don't forget... Firm and young with a laid-back tongue The aim is to succeed and achieve at 21 Just like Ringling Brothers, our days in a sound Captivate the mass cause the pros is profound Do it for the strong, we do it for the meek Boomin' in your boomin' in your boomin' in your Jeep Or your Honda or your Beamer or your Legend or your Benz The rave of the town to your foes and your friends So push it along, trails we blaze Don't deserve the gong, don't deserve the praise The tranquility will make you up all your fists